Hot Topics in the Pork Industry with Stuart Skinner from Amani Farms, Ontario, Canada. Welcome, Stuart. Thanks for having me, Jim. Prop 12. What, what's uh, what's your opinion on Prop 12? Well, I, you know, I've for our business, uh, Jim, we're I guess we're a bit unique in that we are already fully Prop 12 compliant just with some of the other markets we've got to hit. Um, and, and and we don't use any gestation crates and, and are running at a square footage that is above the, the requirement under Prop 12. Um, so I guess I, I because I've seen that style of production, it doesn't necessarily scare me. And I, I know from a, from our own track record, you can, you know, there are tools in place to run sow barns with good animal uh, uh, welfare practices and, and hit that spec. I think there's, you know, there's the political piece or the societal piece that is, we do need to acknowledge that, you know, it is going to make pork in California cost a little bit more, how much more you can argue till the cows come home. Um, but it will cost a little bit more. There's just, that's just kind of the basic fundamentals of, of economic theory. And that, you know, that is something we have to be mindful of um, in that pork, one of the greatest things about pork is it's an affordable protein um, that, that everybody can afford. And we don't want to jeopardize the sources of good affordable protein. That's a really important part of human health. Um, so we can't just, we can't just look at everything with dollars and cents. We have to be mindful of that. Uh, that being said, as a pig farmer, I can't control. I've learned you cannot control politicians. You cannot control those larger systems. You're kind of just, you got to be like the fish in the stream. You can't control the flow. You just got to figure out how to swim within it and, and stay alive and, and thrive. And that's where I guess I, I do think there is, there's going to be some opportunities for a place like Ontario or, or, or Eastern Canada. It's a, it's a, a parallel I look at is, the IP or non-GMO soybean movement. You know, Ontario started doing that in the in the early 90s when bigger Midwestern growers um, in the States didn't want to do anything other than, than crush beans. And now that's a significant part of the, the economic uh, picture on a lot of crop farms here in Ontario. And it's they still got to be competitive in the global market. You've still got to do a, a great job on production, but you do something just a little bit different. You get paid just a little bit more. I think you might see opportunities like that down the road because ultimately if the superior court upholds um, that ruling or prop 12, it is in a, it's essentially creating a new country of 45 million people um, who eat a lot of pork and with three or four very large affluent urban centers. Um, so it, it is, it is something that just can't be ignored as an opportunity in my opinion uh, as a, as a pig farmer. So the ripple effect of Prop 12, does it play into the power move of JBS purchasing Trioak? Yeah, I think it, you know, to me, it signifies there's an example of a large player who acknowledges that that is a large market and that was an ability to acquire production that's ready to go. So that if the Supreme Court says, you know, I, I know they heard the verbal arguments back in, in it was a summer, I believe, was it not? Or I, I, I lose track of the timelines, but there is an expectation that there will be a ruling in at some point here in 2023. Um, I view that as somebody saying, hey, if it happens, we're ready with some pork so that we can put our hands up and say, we've got some and here's our plan to get the rest. Um, that's where I viewed it. Because when you look at other players in that space, 
if anything, my sense has been moving these, some of our, our traditional processors have been moving away from hog ownership. Um, not, not the other way around. So you think it's more of a power move than, uh, uh, a company just divesting because of, uh, old CEOs are getting older and moving on. I, I mean, may, again, they, they, my take from, from 3000 miles away and in a different, a different style of pig farming is they, that company Trioc had a, and had an asset that could be in demand because of the investments they had made in terms of getting, I'm not sure if it was all, but I, I believe a significant number of their sow barns had already been prop 12 were, were designed to be prop 12 compliant. Um, there's a lot of packers in that area in, in Iowa and in, or in that, in that Midwest, Western Midwest, that California is a significant market, right? I, in chatting with some meat brokers in California, that is the main pipeline for feeding the West coast pork needs comes out of that part of the world. And so if there, if you are JBS and you're looking at your competitors that you've got to fight for hogs, whether it's Tyson, whether it's some of those other players in that area, here was an opportunity where a fam uh, a family business was ready to to divest or or exit out, and it, it gave them an opportunity to strategically acquire something that, at worst, they've got a source of seventy thousand sows for their harvesting operations, and at 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 best, they are they've got an insurance premium to to help readiness if Prop Twelve is upheld. What about global markets, global trade? Was and you know it's interesting when you jump from Prop 12 to that because I, I referenced it earlier. Through the use of a non-phytosanitary trade barrier, they've created a new country. They really have. If you if you look just at pork, it's a new country. There's different requirements for that state versus all of the other states. So if you're looking at, if, you know, if you're a Canadian-based value chain, you look at okay, what are the rules to export to the United States less California? Um, and, well, or in this case, because Massachusetts has their own ruling that they have also delayed and has essentially been tied to Prop 12. So if Prop 12 is upheld, you're going to see Massachusetts at the same time. You're essentially going to see these sub-regional jurisdictions um, that have, have their own quasi-trade rules. And if you are a Canadian entity, I think you got to look at it as just, okay, we've got a new trading partner we've got to cultivate a relationship with. Um, and acknowledge and, and then deciding whether it, it is worthwhile to, to develop that relationship or not. So the, that's more of a North American sphere. The other, the other thing I think is really, really interesting on the global pork market side is, you know, we re, we've, we've all read Globe and Mail articles here in Canada or magazine articles uh, talking about rising wealth in developing nations. Um, and, so academically, we uh, a lot of us understand it to be going on. Um, it's really, a, a really amazing when you actually get to see it with your own eyes. And it turns out, like people eat more meat when when wealth improves. And so I've got a I've I've got a, I've been lucky enough to have a pretty strong connection um, with farmers in the Northern Rift Valley in Kenya, and and, and find myself there with some quasi regularity and, and was most recently uh, in, in 2022, back in April, spent a month there. And in the last three years, so my first travel, I guess I'll back up a bit further. My first travels there in, in 2013, there were no, uh, no pork, which I didn't see pork. 
at restaurants. I didn't see, but there weren't, there wasn't a lot of inf grocery store infrastructure at that point, but nothing beyond chicken and small ruminants and a little bit of beef. Um, in 2019, uh, I started to see a little bit of restaurants where you'd go to a, um, to a, to a higher end restaurant and they'd have pork chops on the menu. This time in 2022, pork is everywhere, everywhere. Uh, street vendors selling sausage, um, entire sections of Western style, uh, grocery stores in the meat cake, like as much, um, space in the meat bunker as beef, um, and even the the more informal, they call them like a small butchers, like small butchers. You've seen butchers convert away from beef or lamb and goat, and they've started slaughtering uh, or doing small scale swine butchery. So there, there's a district outside of Nairobi where there's a high concentration of these individual, like little small small butchers. And and in chats with a, an ag economist when I was there in twenty, like this just this past year. He referenced somewhere between 25 and 30% of those stalls have converted themselves to pork. And he's like, well, why? What's going on? And, and really, you know, we, we hear about urbanization, right? So people are moving in from smaller villages into larger cities. Not only does that change the type of work they're doing, the type of life, but they, they train, they're changing their dietary habits. Really, I, I'm going, you know, I go into a grocery store in Nairobi. It's no different than Listowel, the grocery store. Um, except that pork trades at a premium over beef. That is different. <laughs> but where I was, this again, where I'm going with all this, I think we're going to see, you know, we're going to be overwhelmed here in Canada and, and the U.S. with talks about inflation and recessionary um, economic activity, overarching negative sentiment, in my opinion. Globally, those underpinnings of rising wealth, that tide is not stopping because of a 12 to 24 month recession in North America. Um, are there bumps in the global road? A hundred percent, but there is massive growth going on in multiple regions of the world. And that's not stopping with population growth. And, you know, I was at recently at the Quebec, uh, pork show and saw a presentation from a U.S. based, uh, economist, Brent or Brett Stewart. And he shared essentially some projections for pork demand over the next 10 years. And it, it's very bullish. And it because of the, the predictions on rising wealth. So globally, I think it is a good time to be to be in the business of pork production. It's a good time to be in the business of pork production here in Canada, because I think that we are so well positioned that we're not we, we have an opportunity to be on the front foot for once, not fighting to, to hold what we've got. If we can address some some small or if we can address some things here in the domestic industry we can really increase our domestic or our global market share um, of global pork trade. And I think that's going to be going on in new markets that we, we don't, we traditionally didn't think about, you know, instead of Japan, it might be Vietnam in, instead of, instead of trying to cultivate things with, with even the U S we might be looking at new emerging markets in the EU. If we could ever figure out how to kind of navigate the, their, the special regs that come along with there. But I think globally, I feel very bullish uh, for Canada's opportunity here over the next decade. So you think Canada can be a number one pork exporter? Well, you've got to have goals, right? But if you look at who we're fighting with, who are we fighting? Well, first off, I protest that the EU gets to count their exports together. That's not fair. You're you're 27 different countries. So your, your pork exports should be 20. I mean, I'm being a bit facetious there, but, you know, really, who are we going to be competing with? 
Brazil. Um, we're going to be competing with the Americans. Um, but I think that we can be more competitive versus the American industry than traditionally we have been because of some of those, we're going to see better feed grain yields. We're going to see that cost spread on feed grains. I believe it will continue to get narrower um, over time. And, and I think that we're always going to have a leg up on, on an industry like Brazil because we've got some of the back end infrastructure um, that they're still building out. And, and it takes time for developing countries to develop strong banking systems, strong infrastructure systems. They, they will, and over time it will, but I think Canada is really well positioned that we can grow right now. Nobody else has the ready to go packing industry that if you just injected some human labor, we could immediately increase significantly because the, the appetite to grow, my sense is the appetite is to grow here. And Ontario is a young industry. I'm, I'm, I'm 38 years old. And I, I'm old when I go to a producer meeting now. There are a, there's been a ton of generational turnover. I look at a group like Conestoga Meats, which is a producer-owned co-op here in Ontario. Um, that's a group where I, there's almost 200 farmers within that. And so many of those farms have got the next generation in it and invested in it. And they're thinking, they're thinking for the next 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. They're not thinking about next year. Um, so I think we're really well positioned here to do that. So we're well positioned here. We all know what happened with Olamel in Quebec. How do we fix this, Stuart? Well, it's this is one that I I must admit that I sometimes I get a little bit cynical with because I did have an opportunity to work in um, in government at one time in our provincial uh, as a political staff um, person to our provincial ag minister and. There aren't actually that many problems that politicians can fix, if, if we're very honest. There's, there's, there's very few that they can fix. However, this is one that they can fix, that can be fixed. And they're working. I think there's, there, there is effort that is attempting to be made to address our labor shortages. As a person who my, myself can tend to be a little impatient, it's not being done quickly enough because in my mind, it's so simple. It, it it shouldn't it should not be that hard to go out into the world and find 2000 butchers it just shouldn't be and 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 it should be you know for uh, for the instance of quebec in which that provincial government feels importantly about having french speaking butchers I, I i think that that's perfectly within the realm of being reasonable let's go find 2000 french speaking butchers there's a lot of places in the world that have them and let's let's make sure that we build them world class housing um, that's safe and secure and comfortable. And let's pay them every single penny that we pay a domestic worker. Let's not shortchange it. Let's do it the right way. Because if we do that, if we invest in human capital here in 2023, it's going to be paying dividends in 2040 when the when the world doesn't have a growing population anymore. Like we forget we're 15 to, to, to 20 years away from a declining global population. Like that's, there's going to be a time in our lifetime when you're going to have to compete to beg people to come to Canada, which I may, there'll be people that disagree with that assertion, but that's my own, that's my own personal feeling. So we should be making hay while the sun shines. And that means right now over the next 10 to 15 years, focusing on bringing in people. And, and that goes beyond just pork processing, Jim. It, Canada is so blessed with so many different competitive natural resources that the world needs and why wouldn't we do it here in Canada? 
Well said. Thanks for joining us on Hot Topics, Stuart. Thanks a lot for having me, Jim. Really appreciated uh, the opportunity to to throw in some hot hot air and and hopefully a little bit of some nuggets in between there.